Good morning. If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word on your phone or in paper, you can look at it. be on the screen here in just a minute. And um, I want to start with a phrase here this morning. Some things are better left to the professionals. I, uh, I broke my lawnmower. I have a riding lawnmower now, which is a big thing for me because I spent most of my time um, in either apartments or living in a small area with a small yard. And then uh, when I moved here, we got a we rented a place with a big yard, and now I have a place that's got a pretty big yard. And so I went to Bargain Hunt, which is one of the coolest stores you can find, which is junk in it, right? And I bought a orange off-brand riding lawnmower that I moved in my Honda Odyssey by myself, which was a daring escapade. And I got this thing, and I drive it like I stole it. Up, I live on a, like my house is on a hill, so I'm driving this. Thing. I have to sit on one side so it doesn't topple over on me. It's a lot of fun. I broke it. I broke the lawnmower, and I, ne- and I tried to fix it myself via YouTube and buying a lots of tools. I ended up spending several hundred dollars on trying to fix it myself when I could have had it fixed for a hundred dollars by the which eventually did happen by the lawnmower guy. <laughs> that for me, now some of you guys are thinking, man, you are a wuss, and that's probably true. Okay. I know Kevin over here being a mechanical engineer was like, you idiot. <laughs> it was very easy to fix. However, I just want you to know, for me, that job was better left to a professional. Now, there's a lot of jobs that are better left to a professional, such as doing medical tests or procedures. Don't let your friend do medical tests or procedures on you. I know that, I know that seems like, you know, like simple and common sense, but you never know. I got a deal. A friend of mine's going to extract a molar for me. I don't know. Probably should go to a dentist. Other things that's better left to professionals, typically, unless you have hair like mine, it's hair, it's hair, it's haircut, it's haircut, haircuts. Go to a professional, okay? Because you can jack yourself up. Some things are definitely better left to professional. However, ministry, the ministry of the church is not. And Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 4. So we've been in a ser- series in which we've been looking at who the church is. We are. That's the name of our series. So we are this. And so we've looked at we are these called out people, called out because of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. By faith in Christ, we've been called out of darkness into marvelous light to be a people of God. This called out people who are marked by faith in the Lord Jesus, love for one another, and love for him. And we've looked at what this, what this looks like, what a true church is. A true church uh, is one that preaches the gospel, preaches the word of God, and practices the ordinances, which is the Lord's Supper and baptism. We've also seen this, that the church has a purpose. The number one purpose of the church is to worship. Secondly, this purpose we're going to look at today is nurture, that we have ministry to one another that is part of the reason God called us out of darkness into light. And Ephesians chapter 4 shows us that some things are best left to the professionals, but ministry is not one of those things. Ministry is for every part of the body of Christ. Every person who makes up the body of Christ is supposed to be a minister. I want to look at this in Ephesians 4 verse 1. Follow along with me. Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you, and this is Paul talking. He's actually writing this letter in prison. If you go back to, to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he lays out the gospel in great terms. It says, in fact, we get Ephesians 2, um, 
8, 9, and 10, which is so great. Was, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that you can't boast. And you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So he lays out the gospel. And it's pretty amazing to see. And then we get to, ver- we get to chapter 4. And now he is saying, after all of this, we've learned about the gospel and who Christ is. In verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, he is actually under arrest for preaching the good news. He says, I urge you, church in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so he's talking to this church, and here's some things, and it's another one another passage. We, we have to bear with one another in love. And then it goes on in verse 3, eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so first off, he says, church, bear with one another, love one another, because you're called to this one thing, which is to know and be in Christ, who is the one and only. He's the one and only way. And I want you to think one and only. I want you to think this in terms of like, if you're married... And you got, if you went up to your wife and said, you're my one and, well, you're my couple, instead of my one and only, it's not going to go well. It's not going to be good. Amongst the women, you're one of them. If that's your, like, note for Valentine's Day, you're in trouble. Amongst all the women I know, you're one, okay? No, there's an exclusivity because we've looked at Christ is, he's the great I am, he's the king of kings, he's the son of God made He's the Son of God made flesh, and he, he is that. And all of our faith and everything is surrounded in Jesus. And so the church says, remember, there is only one faith, one baptism. It is Christ. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now that was a lot, and that went all over the place. Ascending, descending, lower parts of the earth. Here's what I want you to get. Here's the fact. Jesus came. We celebrated at Christmas time. <laughs> Judson asked me, my son, he's five, he says, Dad, we were talking about a manger the other day. Isn't that something to do with heaven? I was like, well, kind of. See, when Jesus came down to earth, Judson, he he was born in a stable, and he was like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. He's heard it before, but I guess he never really thought about it. He's like, he's born in a stable, like in a barn. With animals? Yes, with animals. And they, he, when he was born, he wasn't born in a hospital, it wasn't a big fanfare. They took him and they put him in a manger, which was a trough in which animals ate out of. He's like, really? So, so it has something to do with heaven? I said, kind of, because the Son of God from heaven was buried there. And that is Paul's point here. We're talking about ascending and descending. It's this, that the one who was on high and Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians, that he descended, Jesus descended, became flesh, and went to the lower parts of the earth. And that means where we are. It's a great condescension, if you will, 
for Jesus, the Son of God, all of his perfections to leave heaven to come to earth. Because earth is a gross place. You know this to be true. You think about this. There was a, there was a cow carrier, a cow trailer, that was driving down through Hartsfield the other day, and right near the library. And it was obviously had been carrying cattle. And then as you went down the road, the leavings from the cattle were being scattered all across Hartsville. I'm thankful I don't work on the road crew because you got to get that up. You think about this earth is a place of dirt and mud and sin and, and all sorts of things, and the perfections of heaven came down in the persons of Christ. And so here's the idea that Paul is getting at in these verses, that when Christ descended, he, he descended so that he might ascend. When does Jesus ascend? He comes to the earth, lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross. He is put in the lower parts of the earth because he is buried in a tomb. Then what happens? He is raised, and now he is ascended. And as he's going to quote Psalm 68, 18 in this little part that's indented in verse 8, and he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And so this is the idea. He, Jesus, as the conqueror, in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus does this. He takes all of evil and wickedness, and he beats them, and he's victorious like a Roman general. And you know how the Romans celebrated a victory? They lined all of the, they, they, would, they would get word that the army had come home to Rome or come home to a, a Roman city, and they would send forth the message, get everybody out, we're going to have a parade, and I want you to, it's like this, like say, let's say, think about this, this is like so abstract for us, but let's say the Titans won the Super Bowl, okay, let's just say, that's out there. It's, it's a long way off, you know that, Rhonda, let's be honest with ourselves, Okay. And they won, if they won the Super Bowl and everybody, but what would happen? People would crowd the streets of Nashville and they would welcome them in. And so here's what would happen back in, the, in this time period is that when, when Caesar would win or when the Roman army would win, they would march through with all captives behind him. And Jesus has destroyed, and the captives that he's leading away in victory or leading out in front of in victory are a sin and death and principalities and powers. Even Satan himself. And so it's when Jesus, when he ascended, which it shows his completed act, when he ascended, he led this host of captives, sin, death, the devil. He beaten them. Not only that, as he, do, as he did this, he gave gifts to men. Just as when you go to a, a parade, you know you love the, the people that are throwing candy out, Right? Even though usually the candy trucks follow the horses, and you're like, that's not smart. They're throwing candy and stuff. There's a, there's a festival in, in Dothan, Alabama, where my folks are from. It's called the Peanut Festival, and they celebrate the peanut. It's weird, okay? <laughs> it is. But peanuts made that, that region of the country a lot of money. And so they actually, when you pull into the fairgrounds, they have a giant peanut as you walk in, it's like a 10-foot, 12-foot, 14-foot-tall peanut right there. And when they have the peanut festival parade, they have this cement mixer full of peanuts. And at the very beginning, the thing that leads the parade is peanuts. And they dump it out of this cement mixer as, I can't make this stuff up, okay? 
This really happens. And they dump all the peanuts out, and, then every, and they're raw, too. Everybody runs out to grab the raw peanuts, and then we all consume the raw peanuts that have been in a cement mixer and have been poured on the ground, and now are raw, and so you just eat stomach ache is what you do. And, and, and that is this parade. And so here's this idea. Because Jesus has descended and ascended, he defeated sin and death, and he leads the captives away. And he also, he gives gifts to men. And so through Christ, the church has been given a gift. Now, if you look in verse 7 with me, I just wanted to explain that because it's a little bit. He descended, ascended. That's what it's talking about here. Because Jesus came and died and is risen and is ascended and reigning, he, in doing that, gives his church the gifts of the Spirit of God and the gift of grace. And in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul mentions something very important. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So I want you to remember this. Some things are best left to the professionals. Ministry is not one of those. You know why? Because every person who is in Christ has been given a gift from God, a gracious gift for the advancement of the gospel and the nurture of the people of God in the church. He has given you a grace gift, if you will. In fact, if you go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts that you have, when he talks about spiritual gifts, Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are spiritual gifts, which they're actually literally called grace gifts, because the word grace in Greek is charis, okay? And the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to talk about our spiritual gifts are called, or grace gifts is, called, is the word charismata, which we get the word charismatic from. But it means this, that we have been given gifts of grace by the Holy Spirit. And he says, here's this, here's this weird thing. Because you're in Christ and because he's ascended and because he is this victor, he gives out gifts. And the gifts that he gives to his church are grace, these grace gifts. So we have, each one of you, I know you think about it, what do I have to offer at my church? If you are in Christ, he has given you some gracious gift to share with the body of Christ. Every one of you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. If you are in Christ, you have a gift that is for the body, for the building up of the body. He has given it to us individually. So that's why ministry is not just for the professionals, it's for everyone because you all have the gift of God by grace. Grace was given to each, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us. How? Because we're good? Because we're awesome? Because we're slick? Because we got it? Because we were born with, you were born with these characteristics? No. In verse 7, it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's not based on merit. It's not based on anything except for the gracious gift of God that he empowers and gives his people a grace gift to share with the church for ministry. And then it goes on. That's the individual. Then we talked about ascending, descending. Go to verse 11 with me, if you will. And he gave, Jesus God, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so here's the thing. Why should ministry not be set aside for the, just for the professionals? Number one, he, give, he, he gives everybody 
who's a believer in him, a grace gift that is for the church. Secondly, he does this. He has given the church corporately, he's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherd teachers, which are people that hold offices. Now, the apostles were in this particular case, when we use this word, we're talking about the 12 apostles um, who, and I will include Paul in it as well, okay, that, that were eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus and had this specific time and place in which they were to, to preach the good news and they had authority over the church and their job was to establish the church. That age of that apostleship is over because none of them are living currently, well, physically living on the earth. They're living spiritually with the Lord, because be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. And so these guys came, and we got the scriptures through them. God worked through them, through the Spirit, to give us the scriptures. And so we got Paul and, and John and those guys who were there, and so they were given for the instruction of the church. The second thing we see is that, that God gave us prophets, which would be preachers, those who were to preach the Word of God, and evangelists, those people who go out and share the good news. And then it talks about this, the shepherds and teachers. And I think you should kind of, instead of an and there, we might need to put a, a slash. So here's what God has given to the church. He's given gracious gifts to each member, plus he's given these officers of the church, these men to lead out, who are to minister to the Word of God, help equip the people of God, to do the ministry they're created for. So, sometimes you may not think this, but your elder, elders, pastors, are actually a gift of grace to you. Now, this is not for us to pat ourselves on the back up here like, hey, I'm God's gift to you, okay? That sounds a little pompous, okay? And if you know me, that it's not really true, okay? So here's the deal. But God has, God has given the church people who have been gifted not because of their goodness or anything good in them, but by grace, he has given people and called them out to the purposes of being an elder, or at this point we have shepherd teacher who are the ones who are in the church. Probably, most likely, the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists are those who function amongst many congregations, and the shepherd slash teacher, or, the one, or, or teachers, with plural, would be those in the church who are shepherding and moving the church, loving the church, caring for the church like, like, like sheep, being with the people, and then teaching them as well the Word of God. That doesn't mean that the shepherd teacher doesn't, isn't an evangelist. What it does mean is that God has given the church shepherds, elders, pastors, and their job is to teach and to, be, to serve as an example and to love and serve the people to get them ready for ministry. And sadly, here's how most of our churches are set up, okay? Most of our churches are set up in a way where you, where you think we should just call a professional. For example, I know so several churches that have 200 members and have four staff members and then three secretaries for 200 people. That is a lot of ministers for just 200 people. Well, you know why they have that? And that's churches all across the board. I served on a church. That's the way our staff was laid out. Do you know why they did that? It's because any time a ministry need were to arise, what should we do? we got to call the preacher. we got to call the youth pastor. we got to get them here. We can't handle this on our own. We can't do that. Now, listen, 
what's the job of the of the, the pastor teacher to shepherd people? We're Jesus's under shepherds. Okay, remember he is. You know, he says, "I am the good shepherd." We're not the good shepherd. We're just shepherds. Okay. What our job is to love and care for the people of God, to be there, to point them, to, to serve as examples. That's what the elders and the pastors of the church are supposed to do. And we're supposed to teach and, and teach. Some of the ways you teach are not just by listening to what I say. What are some of the best ways to teach is follow me as I do. And that's our job as, as elders here at the church and pastors at the church is to do that, is to lead you in those directions. But the purpose, and you see it in verse 12 here, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We gotta ask ourselves the question. So that the pastors are here to equip somebody, which means to give them everything that they need to be successful and to be mature. I coached T ball this year. I could have dominated those other kids on the other team. Our kids were okay. They ran the bases all right. I could have run them faster. They hit it pretty well. I could have crushed that thing. Okay? <laughs> you imagine? And this almost happens sometimes, okay, where the coach is about to get out there and play for the kid. That's, the, that's not the purpose of Little League is to show how good your coach is. We need to put a memo out there, okay, because okay? it gets a little rough. What's the purpose of me as a coach? To teach the kids how to play. To not do that is not the point of Little League. It would be a ridiculous t-ball game of 30, 40, and 50-year-olds in which somebody's going to get hurt and winded and it's not going to be good. We were equipping these kids. We were teaching them how to throw the ball. We are teaching them how to catch the ball. We are teaching them how to do all these things. They didn't know. And so why are we there to teach them and encourage them and push them on and to teach them how to play this game so that they could do, they could play. And in essence, that's the idea of, of having pastors and teachers and elders. We are to participate in the work of the ministry, but our job is to equip all the saints. Now, who are you talking about? You talking like when the Saints go marching in? You talking about one of the NFL teams that's probably going to play today? I don't know the schedule. Is that who you're talking about? What are you talking about when, when you say the Saints? Well, literally, it's the holy ones, and here is who that applies to. And this is something you just got to get around and understand. If you're in Christ, you're a holy one. That does not mean you are perfect, FYI or that I am perfect. What it does mean is that because you are in Christ, you now have his righteousness given to you. And you're holy. That doesn't mean you're not struggling. It means when God looks at you, you're declared righteous because of the work of Christ. And so, you have nothing to fear in front of God Almighty. You know why? Because Christ has done the work. It's all about Christ. And so 
we are holy ones. God has given gifts to each individual holy one, grace gifts for the building up of the body and the ministry of the Word of God. He's given all those things. And not only that, he's given, he's given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists. And in the local church, particularly shepherd teachers, to get the saints ready, to get the people of God, those who have trusted God, those who are holy, not because of their works, but because of Christ's righteousness, to equip them, get them ready to do the work of the ministry. And so all of those who are in the church and are part of the body are there to do the work of ministry, in which he goes on in verse 12 to say, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And going back to this analogy, or this this way, most of the time, we treat the church, the church as a whole wants to call a professional. For example, I've heard this so many times from different people, not necessarily here, but other people. Preacher? Preacher? My neighbor doesn't know Jesus. You didn't go on over there. That doesn't make much sense since you live right next to them and you know their name and I don't know their name. And honestly, I can go share the gospel with them, but they won't see it worked out in my life. You know why? Because I don't live next to them. But you know who does live next to them? You live next to them. <gasps> what? Yeah. So you should probably do that. Well, I can't do that. Why not? It's your job, is it? Is it? Yeah, I'm, my job is to share the gospel and to preach the gospel. But you know what the job of the pastors and the elders are? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That is part of the work of the ministry. Also, another thing, just, just that's an evangelistic one, the outreach oriented. But let's see about in the church. Pastor, Pastor Team, elders, we got a problem. We need more discipleship. Awesome. Well, which one of you guys is going to start the group? Well, what I meant was, what are you going to do? I'll be glad to help you. Walk alongside of you. But you know what happens? If you don't train somebody to do it, first off, it's not biblical. Secondly, you cripple them. Can you imagine? I have a five-year-old. You imagine if I was still changing his diapers and never taught him how to use use the bathroom. First off, that'd be a nasty gig. Secondly, you imagine walking up into kindergarten. Teach you change me. He's gonna be beaten senseless for his whole entire <laughs> elementary school. And they're like, no bullying. They're gonna bully you for that. Okay. Can you imagine if I never if we never like let him ride his bike? What would happen? 35-year-old wearing the spandex, you know, getting ready for a bike ride, and he gets out there on his bike, and it's training wheels. Look First off, you look ridiculous wearing the spandex. If you do that, I love you. God bless you. But please don't come around me with your spandex on. You're riding that thing down the road. You're going to look ridiculous, and you're never going to grow. And we look at that, and we're like, oh, that's, that's absurd. But we never realize that that is not how the church is supposed to function, but it's how a lot of the time the church has been functioning for 20, 30, 40 years. There's a death in the family. Call the preacher. Why don't you go pray for him? Yes, call the preacher. Please, I need to know, okay? I want to come minister too. But you know who can take food? 
And many of you do. Take food, you do. Take care of it. Do it. The work of the ministry is for the people of God. Our job is to be the coaches, to be those who get down in it with you, to preach the word, to teach the word, and to to act out the word so that you can be ready to administer the word for the building up of the body of Christ. And this is something I need to learn in my heart, and you need to learn too. The building up of the church is not the job, just the job of the elders or the pastor. It's of the whole body. That's what the Bible says. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. Why did he give those? To equip, prepare the saints for the work of the ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. Jesus will build his church. Remember we talked about that in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And how does the Lord do that? He does it through people who are empowered by grace, given shepherds and leaders to equip them, to come alongside of them, and to work together so that all the people of God can be involved, empowered by the Spirit for the building up of the church. And this leads to exponential growth instead of small growth. The church will only go as far as the people of God will be surrendered to the will of God. Equip the saints for the building up. And this is why the building, of the fa- building up of the church happens. Verse 13. Until we attain. So we're, the pastors, elders, shepherds, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness or deceitful schemes. And so here's the reason why the the saints are supposed to be equipped for the building up of the body. It's so that they can reach maturity. It says full manhood here. And so it's it's not trying to be sexist here. What it's trying to say is this. Maturity is the goal, not perfection. We will not be perfect. We showed a picture a while back. If you want to go to the perfect church, okay, there's a church called the Perfect Church in Atlanta, Georgia. I give you the address if you want to go there. That's the name of the church. That's a high bar you're setting there, okay, right that? If you found the perfect church, you probably wouldn't want to join it. I wouldn't because I'd mess it up, okay? But what is the idea here is the saints to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So as they're doing the work of ministry, they might reach maturity, we often think of it op- opposite way, that we have to reach maturity to do the work of the ministry. No, what happens most of the time is that God matures us as we do the work of the ministry. I know that real firsthand. I, I, I planned a Disciple Now, which is a youth event when I was 15 years old, 16 years old because I could drive. And we did it. Do you know what? It's by the grace of God that that happened and that People weren't arrested. I was, lead, I was leading kids my own age and some older than me. I didn't know what I was doing. Sometimes I wake up and I still don't know what I'm doing, okay? Just to be quite honest with you. How does God mature us? It's rarely that he matures us by us being mature and then doing it. Think about parenthood. Is there any way you could describe what it's like to have an infant to someone? 
No, there's been many attempts. It's like having a bad college roommate or, or <laughs> stays up all night <laughs> and wakes you up and yells, eats all the food. I mean, what? <laughs> but you can't get, really get ready for that. And if you ever think you're going to be ready for it, then just have one and you know you're not. There's just no way of, of getting prepared for that. Well, how does it happen that you, you it's faith. You, follow, you obey God. And he says, he's equipped you. Even if you don't feel equipped, he's sent these saints. And you, 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 you carry on. He's sent these. You get, you've been taught some. We've got some example. And you just get into the work of ministry. And then God matures us and brings us to this maturity. And why does he bring this maturity about? As the, the, saint, as the pastor shepherds are equipping, he is bringing maturity about. Not perfection, but maturity. For the purposes that you will not be tossed to and fro by every teaching. Because I tell you what, there is some weird, whack, Christian, quote-unquote Christian teaching that comes out all the time. A new tenor of it. Since I've been here, we've had to worry about blood moons. And, and all sorts of ridiculous stuff. And everybody's going, it's going to happen, the end of the world. I'm like, okay. You know why I'm sure it's not? Because you called it. And Jesus said, no man knows the time or the season, so you called it, not happening that day. But everybody's getting all up in arms. You had blood moons. You had, oh, the eclipse. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this is the end. I thought the end was going to happen with the blood moon. Now the end's going to happen with the eclipse, and it's all this lineup. I'm, I'm reading these passages out of context, and I'm finding numbers in them, and I'm, I'm, I'm judging the wind. I got people coming to me like, I'm really frightened. I'm like, why? They're nuts. Crazy. And it, it hurts, it messes up Christians, true believers. Because maturity in the faith, it, it, helps, it helps us from going all over the radar, being tossed to and fro, and being in crisis all the time. It's like this, when you reach a mature spot in your marriage, it's less likely that you're going to fight over some things that are just real dumb. Because you've come to peace with some of them. You've come to peace with where you squeeze the toothpaste or where they're going to leave where they're going to leave their underwear or whatever. You kind of like, okay, I'm not going to fight over that one. You get a glimpse into the brown home, okay? <laughs> you just moved on and that's not the thing. And so maturity, you're you're going to fight on other things. But it won't be those things you've settled. And so here's the idea, is that God has given these pastor shepherds for the equipping of the saints to the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ so that we would attain this unity and we would come to maturity so that we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and that we ought to be a steady force for the gospel. So God has given his church gifts individually and corporately for the, for the building up. And our job as the elder team is to lead you and to pastor you and come alongside you and do the work of the ministry with you for the sake of equipping you to do the ministry which God calls you to. Because I want you to know something. You're a better minister, to, better minister than I am or Tom or Kevin is in your life than we could ever be. Because you have relationships and know people we won't know like you do. God has equipped you in some way, to do the work of the ministry and the body of Christ, the building up of the body of Christ, only goes as far as, our, as we are willing to walk with him in it and obey him and use our gifts. 
And finally, it says this. Instead of being, verse 14 talks about being tossed to and fro by people who are scheming, verse 15. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. And so here's this point. As you're going to do this, as you're equipping the saints, you continually speak the truth in love to one another. And as you're doing this, as you're speaking the truth of love and you're doing the work of the ministry, God is going to work in us to build up the body of Christ. Speaking the truth of love is very important because our our society has forgotten how to speak the truth in love. The church has forgotten, and more importantly, because the, the, our society is not called to speak the truth in love, okay? But our church is called to speak the truth in love. To one another, yes, but also to the world, to speak the truth in love. You know when you've, when you've seen this screwed up. Because our society is like, let me tell you something. Okay, confrontation has been called, especially in southern circles, a come to Jesus meeting. Okay, and I don't, I use that, I use that terminology too. But when has someone ever come to Jesus because you told them off? <laughs> Let me tell you, Walmart cashier, I will cut you. I want my discount. We had a come to Jesus meeting. No, you had a wrath of God meeting or something, a wrath of crazy shopper meeting, okay? That wasn't a come to Jesus meeting. Speaking the truth means to have principles. Speaking the truth in love is not judgment. It is judging that person's behavior, but it's not judgment outside of the realm of when it's in love, okay? Because when you speak the truth in love, what do you want? You don't want the person to be condemned. You want the person to come out of condemnation and live rightly. And so part of what it means to be in the church and to do the work of the ministry is to speak the truth to one another in love. When you see somebody that's out, when it's, who's not acting, living biblically in love, you go to them, try to work on them and correct them. And, and you do it in godliness, watching yourself that you might not fall into sin. And you do that because it is important. And here's what I want to get across to us today. Because the building up of the body of Christ is dependent on the members. It's really dependent on the Spirit of God, but it's also dependent on the members of the body to do what they're supposed to do. And if you think about this, if the body doesn't work as it should, big problems happen. There was a kid in one of the youth groups that I served whose mom did him a horrible disservice. And here's what it was. He's 13 years old. His pituitary gland wasn't working like it should have been. And he had not entered into puberty. He, and he actually didn't enter into puberty until he was 15. He shall remain nameless, unlike what his mom did. This was on every prayer list at that church. And it was listed what the problem was. I felt bad for this kid. He's, he's cool now, okay? It happened and everything. But it was, like, super embarrassing for him because his body was not working as it should. What happened? He was delayed developmentally, and he was a small kid. He really had never caught up to, to genetically where he should have because dad was this big, huge dude. and He was this really small, scrawny guy. Why did that happen? Because his body wasn't working 
the way that it should. When our body does not work the way that it should, when we're not actively, when, when, when pastors in, in the body of Christ, when we are not, extra, first off, we're not exercising our spiritual gifts as we ought doing the work of the ministry individually, the body's not functioning as it is supposed to. Secondly, when the pastors and, and elders, shepherd teachers, are not doing what they're not equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, it's not building it like it should, and there's a problem because the body is not functioning as it ought to. When the, when the members are, wanting, are counting on the elders and pastors to do all the work of the ministry, that is not how a body functions, and it will not function. There's a big problem, and there will be no growth. There will be a stuntedness to it. And so I am calling us to follow this biblical pattern so that we might be grown up into who God wants us to be. Speaking the truth and love to one another, verse 15 says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the lead. We are supposed to grow up and fill out that body. We have, this, we have this, this head that is amazing, but our body is scrawny. It's like we skipped leg day but did arms, okay? I mean, you look ridiculous. And so it's like you got this giant head and this emaciated body. But what, is, what does Ephesians say? We're supposed to be built up into the body of Christ. From whom? Jesus. The whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which is equipped. So how's the body held together? By every joint by which is it's equipped with. All these parts are integral to this body of Christ that we might be built up to be a mature specimen that when each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our body will not grow as it should unless we are all functioning as we should and we all share in the ministry together. It just won't happen. We'll be stunted and shriveled and not growing into who Christ would have us to be. However, there is so much hope and grace and power of the Spirit in the people of God. We oftentimes watch the news and we see nothing but destruction and it seems like everything is falling apart and it just might. But last year through the International Mission Board, one of the missionary agencies that we support, 87,000 people profess faith in Jesus Christ all across the globe. Churches are growing and multiplying. Yes, there are some that are dying, but there has been, as some of these older churches die, new churches are taking their place, and some of the older churches are being revived by the gospel, and God is at work. And how will the work be carried around? Will it be carried around through celebrity pastors or pastors who sit on a pedestal or, or, or by putting all your faith and hope in a pastor? Absolutely not. Time and time again, that falls flat. How will it be accomplished? By believing God. Believing God has set the church up in the right way, following the Scriptures. By 
by being a part of a local body and using your gifts, the grace gifts that have been given to you to do the work of the ministry, being equipped by your shepherds and pastors. We got a lot on us that we're going to do to help move the church. But ultimately, if we're going to grow into who we are, it has to be us together and we can together. You know why? Not because we're great, because there's been grace given to us. There's power in us through the Spirit. And he has given us and empowered us with gifts to lift one another up, to nurture one another, to worship God, to lead others to that, and to make much of him and to lead others to him. There is so much that can be accomplished through Christ working in his church. And I pray, and I don't know if I've ever been a part of it, but I pray that we would be a church, that we function as we ought. For the glory of God, he deserves no less. And he gets all the glory because we don't have the power in us. It is his grace working through us. And he said, I have equipped the saints. He says, I've sent pastors and shepherds to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. There is power. We can't grow on our own, but together we can make much and be built up into something, a body that glorifies God. And so here's how we want to end it. We usually end, I'm going to invite the band to come up. We usually end our services on on a, a real reflective note, but I want us to proclaim something. I want us to proclaim who we are. There's a song. This song actually, I don't. It was written by Clint. We've been singing it, and it really captures Ephesians' idea of who we are in Jesus. And I want us to stand and sing it together. So if you would, we're gonna stand. I'm gonna pray. They'll probably tune while I pray, so if you hear that, that's all right. Let's sing this as a declaration together of who we are, because sometimes you've got to believe it before you walk into it. So let's pray. Father, we come, and we thank you for the gifts that you've given us, the grace gifts that you've given us. Thank you that you've equipped us individually to do the work of the ministry that you've equipped us corporately through the, the elders and pastors and evangelists and prophets and apostles that have gone before. God, I pray you continue to help us as elders know how to lead and to be good examples and to love God. And when we fail, God, help us to repent and to be, and, and to be better and to turn towards you and to follow you more closely. And God, we pray that you would help us to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God, I pray that you would Give the saints a burden for the ministry, to do the work of the ministry. And I also pray, God, that you would give them a burden or give them a love and a joy to serve other people and know that you're calling them to do it. God, help our church be built up. Built up together to be mature and full in who you want us to be. We're thankful for one another, and we're thankful most of all for Christ. Thank you for who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. No matter what you say or what you do, can't take. His love away 
And it has been great to be with you this morning. If you would stand, we're going to dismiss. With these words of benediction, this is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, right before the passage we studied today. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in his grace. You're dismissed.